If you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you take them please and turn to the 15th chapter of John's Gospel. Although we are through with our series of messages following the idea of the seven I am sayings of our Lord, and the last one that we looked at last week came from this 15th chapter where Jesus said that he was the vine, the true vine. But I wanted to come back to this chapter and spend a few moments with you talking about the word abide uh, and what it means uh, for us to abide in Jesus. And as it had already been pointed out to you from verse four through verse 10, the word abide appears about 10 times. Now, anytime a word appears in the scriptures, it's a reason, There's, it's important. Uh, but when it is repeated once, twice, three times, but here 10 times, that only emphasizes how important it really is. And what our Lord is saying to us, how imperative, how important it is for us to abide in him. We, we talk about Jesus giving us the abundant life, but, but what is meant by the abundant life? We can't, I don't believe, experience the abundant life without our abiding in Jesus. And so I wanted to come back and, and look at this uh, word and, and these verses and, and share some thoughts with you about what it means to abide in Christ. So beginning with verse 4 of John chapter 15, this is what the scripture says. The words of Jesus. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. Now, all the things that are recorded in the Holy Scriptures that uh, our Lord spoke were important. He wouldn't have said it if it had not been so. But I believe that there are three major invitations that Jesus gave to the people of his day and also to us. I believe the first invitation that our Lord gave is expressed in the words, come to me, come to me. In Matthew chapter 11, he says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. It is, I believe, an invitation to come to him for salvation. Because there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than the name of Jesus. The name Jesus means Jehovah saves or God saves. 
So I believe that it is his invitation to all to come to him for salvation, an important invitation. A second commandment that our Lord gave is follow me, follow me. So if we come to him for salvation, that is just the first step in a lifelong journey. Uh, for the Christian life is a journey that begins with salvation, but then it goes on to completion. You remember over there in Philippians, Paul said that he was confident that God would take what had been put into us and carry it out to our completion. So salvation is just the first step on the journey that lasts a lifetime until we enter into the presence of the Lord himself. We are to follow him. Jesus said, take up your cross daily, die to yourself, take up your cross daily and follow me. And uh, he said to Matthew and Mark and to John and Peter and James and all the disciples, his invitation to them was come and follow me. Now to those who were fishers, fishermen, he said, you, 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 you fish for fish, you come and follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. Follow me. It's no accident that our Lord said, I am the way. And the Christians of the first century, before they were called Christians, were called people of the way. They followed the Lord. It meant discipleship. It meant sitting down at his feet and learning and experiencing what it means to be a child of God. So come unto me and then follow me. The third commandment that our Lord gave that I believe is extremely important is abide in me. For this is a command. This is not our Lord saying, if you feel like it or if you want to, that'd be all right. I think it'd be a good idea. No. Our Lord is issuing a command saying to his followers, abide in me. Abide in me. So the question that we want to answer this morning is, are you abiding in Christ? There are many Christians, I believe, who are saved but have never learned what it means to abide in Christ. He said, as the vine is to the branch, so I am to you. And if I understand that properly and correctly, then the branch, the, 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 the vine has everything that the branch needs to live and to produce fruit. Everything and everything that you and I need to live the Christian life and to walk in his way is found in Christ who is the true vine. And everything that you and I need is available now, right now. You don't have to wait until something else is fulfilled or happens for you to receive all that the Lord wants to give to you as the vine gives the sap to the branch, everything that the branch can produce comes because of his connection to the vine and the sap that, that transfers from the vine to the branch. And so everything that you and I need to live successfully the abundant life that Christ came to give to us is provided for us in Christ himself. All you need to grow as a Christian is found in Jesus Christ. Now, a definition as it is on your outline, the word abide means to remain, to remain, or to stay, to remain, or to stay. It, it would be, you know, instead of the Christian life being looked upon as a service station, 
where uh, you, you, know, you go to the service station when you need gas and you fill it up and then you go on your way again. The Christian life in Christ is not a service station. It's more like a home where you stay and where you remain and every moment of every day you abide in him. It's, it's not that you go in and out of his presence. As a child of God, as a Christian, the Holy Spirit abides in you. He dwells in you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't come and go and come and go. He comes to stay. He remains in you. He stays in you. And so we are to remain in Christ. We are to stay in him. He is our home. And so Jesus Christ, as he has been abiding in the Father, so we are to abide in him. While Jesus was here on the earth, he lived in his human body. And uh, he laid aside, not his deity, he never ceased being God, but he laid aside his prerogatives that go along with his deity. Uh, uh, Jesus uh, uh, didn't pull rank on us while he was here on the earth. Our, our Savior's wish and desire and, and command is for us to live the same kind of life that he lived. And the kind of life, not necessarily sinless because apart from his righteousness, we cannot do that. But what I'm saying to you is, as we will see as we work our way through the message, everything Jesus did, everything Jesus said, he got from the Father. He didn't come here on his own initiative. He said, I came to fulfill the desire and the wishes, the plan and design that my Father has for you. The Father has sent me to accomplish his will. And we're going to see that as we work our way through this. You're in chapter 15. Look, look at over at verse 14, chapter 14. John chapter 14, verse 10 and verse 12. In John 14, verse 10 and 12, this is what you'll find. Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words, now notice, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. The Father abiding in me does his work. So here our Lord is giving the example. He's saying, abide in me as I abide in the Father. Everything Jesus said, everything Jesus did, he received the instructions from the Father. Why do you think there were so many times when you read in the Gospels about the life of Jesus that he withdrew from the public, he withdrew from his disciples, he would get up early in the morning and he would go up into the mountains to pray. What do you think he was praying about? What do you think went on between him and the Father? Among other things, I believe he was receiving words from the Father and instructions from the Father as to what he was to do. This is what he is saying here. I am in the Father. The Father is me. The words that I say to you, I don't speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his work. And then in verse 12, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. Why? Because when he went to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit would empower you and enable you to do the works of our Lord. So Jesus is the pattern for abiding. He has set the example. So in the moments that remain, I want to share with you four ways or four things 
that we can do in order to abide in Jesus. First of all, I believe that there needs to be a reliance upon his strength. A reliance upon his strength. A reliance upon his strength. Look, if you would, at verse 5. John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. Now, the word nothing, just to get its meaning, just divide it up. No thing. That's exactly what you and I do without our Lord's help and power and living his life in and through us. We cannot accomplish anything that is of eternal value. He said, without me, you can do nothing. Not you can't just do a few things. You can do nothing. Uh, to, the, to the branch, he, the, the, the vine would say, look, branch, you cannot produce grapes if you don't abide with me, if you don't attach yourself to me, if you don't remain attached, if you don't stay attached, you cannot produce any grapes. If we do not stay with him, if we do not remain with him, we cannot produce the spiritual fruit that he is looking for. Otherwise, we can do nothing. I think maybe that would have been some idea that Paul had in mind in 1 Corinthians 3 when he said at the judgment, everything that is wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up. Only that which is a precious stone, gold, and silver will last. So he is saying you, you must rely upon me as the branch relies upon the vine in order to produce. Jesus was saying that with, you know, he, he sets the example for us. Uh, go back to ch chapter 5 of, of, night, uh, of, of John's gospel. Go, just keep going back to chapter 5 and verse 19. Look at chapter 5 and verse 19. This, this is where we see the example of Jesus. John 5, 19. Therefore, Jesus answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. So he said, I'm just doing what the Father's told me to do. I'm just doing what the Father has shown me to do. I have seen the Father doing this. He wants me to show you and you are to do it. Jesus was saying that without the Father, he could do nothing. And when you, are to be, when you are prepared to be to Jesus and let Jesus be to you what the Father was to him, then you're going to live the abundant life. You're going to abide with him. Jesus says, I am in the Father, the Father is me. And then he says, I am in you and you are in me. Jesus set the example. And when we rely upon him, we receive the strength that we need to live the Christian life. Now, strength is important, very important. Let me give you two or three examples in the Bible where people turn to the Lord for strength. And the first one is Joshua, over in the book of Joshua, where after Moses died, the mantle of leadership fell upon Joshua to lead the people of Israel across Jordan and into the promised land. If you would, Joshua chapter 1, verses 5, 6, and 7, listen to this. This is the Lord talking to Joshua. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. 
Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall give these people possessions of the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. Only be strong and very courageous. The second time he said it. Be courageous, be strong, be careful to do according to all that the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have success wherever you go. And then skip down to verse 9. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Three times the Lord said to Joshua, be strong and be courageous. Follow the law that has been given to you and you will be successful. I will reward you, he said. So Joshua, being faithful to the Lord, led the people because he got his strength and courage from the Lord. Now Samson. Samson is another example, and we know that Samson, the strongest man who ever lived, disobeyed the Lord and and violated his Nazarite covenant and um, did everything opposite to what the Lord wanted him to do and what his parents wanted him to do lived a a sinful life um, and then eventually got his eyes gouged out, you remember, because uh, he uh, fell to the charms of uh, the the young lady and and, uh, it it cost him his eyesight. He became a prisoner. And um, they mocked him and laughed at him and so forth. But you remember what happened at the end when uh, the Lord uh, allowed him to positioned himself, they they took him and he positioned himself between the two pillars. And you remember Samson prayed to the Lord for forgiveness and he said, empower me, give me the strength to push these pillars down. And so with one mighty shove, uh, standing between the two pillars, uh, he, he pushed the pillars down, the temple came tumbling down. It says that he killed more people through that last final act because of the strength that the Lord gave him. You see, the hair was not the strength. It was only the symbol of the strength. His strength came from God. When he got his hair cut, which was a symbol of his strength, then his his strength left him. But now he said, Lord, empower me this one last time. And the Lord gave him the strength to push those pillows down. And he died along with it. He died along with it. But the Lord gave him the strength. You remember David and this, I want, to, I want to turn to 1 Samuel for this one. 1 Samuel chapter 1. 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse, uh, excuse me, verse 17. I'm sorry, I said for, for chapter 1, verse seven, uh, chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I, I want you to look beginning with verse 31. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 31. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told him to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Saul said to David, You are not able to go up against the Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth, while he has been a warrior since his youth. But notice what David says in verse 34. David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep, and when a lion or a bear came and took a a lamb from the flock, I went out against him, attacked him, rescued him from the mouth, and when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. 
David said, the, now notice verse 37, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Now, you remember the story goes that Saul said, well, you're, you know, you're inexperienced as a warrior and you're young. Uh, here, here's my armor. You put my armor on. He put it on because it was too big for him. He could turn around on the inside of it. He said, I've not tried these things. This thing don't fit. I can't use these things. I'm going to depend on the Lord. The Lord will deliver this man to me. Now go down to, in chapter 17 uh, to, to verse 45 because he goes out and he meets up with Goliath and Goliath taunts him and, and blasphemes the Lord. And, 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 but then this is David's response in verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted, taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. <laughs> and so he just said, the Lord's going to give me the victory in this. He got his strength from the Lord. And then, of course, in Isaiah chapter 40, it says, do you, do you not know, have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? He under, his understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary and to him who lacks might. He increases power. And so the Lord will give you the power that you need if you will rely on him, rely on the strength and power and be courageous in the Lord. I think is a key to the living the abundant life. Number two, not only a reliance upon his strength, but a receiving of his word. A receiving of his word. Notice in verse 7, John 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, how does Jesus abide in us? Well, of course, the Holy Spirit who is Jesus in the spirit, he dwells within you. But his word also abides in us. When his word comes into us, when we receive the word of God, uh, that's the way we abide in him. In John 6, 63, he said, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. So how do you get the word of God in you? Not, I'm not talking about Jesus now because he's there because of the, in the Holy Spirit. But how do you get the word of God inside of you? Well, by eating it. <laughs> by eating it. And, and I'm not saying tear the pages of your Bible out of the book and, you know, chew them that way. Uh, eating the word of the Lord is a metaphor, a way of saying um, read God's word and, and, um, and digest it. Uh, just like a, a student would go over here to SFA and, and sit in a class and take notes uh, of, of the professor's uh, lectures, uh, knowing that the test day is coming, so, so what is he, what's he going to do with what he's heard? Well, if he's smart enough, he's going to memorize as much of it as he can because he's going to be held accountable for it. How do you memorize it? You put it in your mind. Put it in your mind. So it goes into your mind, and you know your, your mind is like a computer, uh, just whatever you put into a computer is what comes out and, and, and it's permanent. And, and what you hear and what you take in and what you meditate on 
becomes a permanent part of you. And like a computer, a, a, a mental filing cabinet, it, it just, when it's there, then it comes out. Thy word have I hid, where? In my heart, that I might not sin against God. Uh, you, you know, uh, you, you've seen a cow uh, chewing grass. Uh, and uh, after it's, it's filled its belly full, it walks over to the shade of a tree and sits down and he regurgitates, if you please, what he has eaten and, and he rechews it. It's called chewing the cud. And, and he, it's, uh, he ruminates. And he just takes what is in there and just brings it back up and he rechews it. Well, the same thing, it may not be a, a real enticing thing to talk about, but what it is, you just take what you've learned, what you've memorized, you've hid it in your heart, and you just bring it. You know, Jesus said, don't worry about what you're going to say when you get in a difficult situation. The Holy Spirit's going to bring it back to your memory. It's amazing how when verses of Scripture that you memorize and done this months and years of before and you've forgotten all about it, but then you find yourself in a situation and it's difficult and it's terrible and it's a hard time how the Holy Spirit brings those verses back to the surface of your mind and they become a source of strength for you because you have eaten the word of the Lord. And, uh, you know, the Bible tells us in the words of Job, Job said, I'd rather have the word of the Lord. It, it's, it's more necessary to me than food. Moses admonished the Jews to live on God's word as well as manna. Uh, you remember what Jesus also said to the, to the devil, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. He was quoting from the book of Deuteronomy. He was quoting the words of Moses that Moses spoke to the children of Israel, said, don't just depend upon the manna that falls every day. Depend upon the word of the Lord. You feast on manna, feast on God's word. Receive it into you. Jeremiah said that he ate the word of God. The apostle John over in the 10th chapter of the book of Revelation talks about eating the scroll. Ezekiel also was commanded of the Lord to take the scroll that had been given to him and to eat it. Jesus said, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And Peter said that you need to desire and crave the pure, insincere milk of the word of the Lord that you might grow thereby. So you cannot grow in the Lord unless you receive the word of God, read it, study it, memorize it, meditate upon it, regurgitate it, ruminate it, let it become a part of you the psalmist said, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and in that law he meditates day and night. It's not just a once in a while come to Sunday school or come to church once a year or whatever, but it's every, every single day that you get into the word and you read it. If it's only just one verse or one word, but look at it and memorize it and, and take it into your heart. Psalm 119, 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Psalm 119, verse 99. I have more insight than all of my teachers for your testimonies or my meditation. That's why I believe sometimes you, you meet an individual who's never had a bit of education beyond maybe, you know, the, the 10th grade or the high school, and, but, but they're smart. They're knowledgeable about a lot of things, never having advanced into college or any other type of, I'm not, I'm not against that, uh, you know, don't be no fool, go to school. <laughs> but I'm just saying to you, you want to be wise, not, not just smart, but you want to be wise, you want to be a person of wisdom, here it is, folks. 
It's called the Word of God. And if you'll spend time in this book, if you'll study it and meditate upon it, you will become a wise individual receiving the Word of the Lord. Jesus said, I spent time with the Father. I saw what the Father was doing. I did it. I heard what the Father was saying, and I said it to you. I received it, and I gave it. I've been in tune with my heavenly Father. What I've said is what I've heard. Did you ever hear from God? Oh, I, I, I've heard from him a lot of times. My life's verse, I suppose, if I were to pick one, would have to be John chapter 15 and verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you will and it shall be done unto you. And that was the verse the Lord laid on my heart when as a 17-year-old junior in high school, searching, trying to find God's will for my life and what I was going to do with it. And every time that I prayed, I based my requests and desires from the Lord upon that verse of Scripture, claiming the Lord's abiding presence in my own heart my studying of the Word of God and my wanting to do His will, and the Lord led me. So it's not something that I, I don't know what I'm talking about. I do. I've been there and I've done it and still do. So receive the Word of the Lord. A third thing, a relinquishing to His will, giving up your will for the Lord's will. Have you ever wondered why there have been times in your life that you feel like that God just isn't real to you? Have you ever tried to pray and it just feels like that God is just so far away that he, he just isn't hearing you? He just turns a deaf ear to you? It's not that God is far away. It, it's, it could be that you are the one who's far away. You, read, you remember the story about the, the man and wife who were driving down the highway one day and... and uh, the wife was sitting over on the passenger side and she looked over at him and said, you know, honey, when we first started dating and first got married, uh, I was always sitting on, you know, next to you, helping you drive. <laughs> uh, man, what has happened to us? And the husband who was sitting behind the steering wheel said, I hadn't moved. <laughs> I haven't. I think the Lord will say that to us too. He hasn't moved. He's the solid rock. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's always available to us. It's not God that's moved. It's not God that's turned the deaf ear. It's you. It's me. We've moved away. And the farther we get away from the Father, the less and less we love him. Prodigal son. Where did he go? To the far country. <laughs> to the big city and the bright lights and wasted away his life until the Lord spoke to him and he said, I'm not worthy to be called my father's son anymore. I'll become as a hired servant. He humbled himself. Gave up his will for the father's will. So when you relinquish your will to his will, that's how you get your prayers answered. God doesn't ever answer your prayers. Well, examine your relationship to him. Do you put other things in front of God? What did Jesus say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be presented to you. I read paraphrase there. But it's a matter of putting God first. Let him be the Lord of your life. Jesus isn't going to sit on the back seat and be a back seat driver in your life. He's going to sit behind the steering wheel or he's not going to sit there at all. 
He's going to be Lord. He is Lord. He wants to be the Lord of your life. You know, we spend a lot of emphasis talking about be saved, be saved, be saved. And that's true. You need to be saved. But you also need to let Jesus be the master and Lord of your life. You have one job and one job only. The one job and the only job that the branch had was to abide in the vine so that it could produce. It wasn't producing the fruit. His job, the branch's job, is to abide in the vine. Because if he's not abiding and attached to the vine, he's not, it's not going to produce anything. So you don't have a multiple jobs to do. You have one job and one job only as a Christian, and that is to abide in Jesus. The Apostle Paul said, one thing I do, not two things, not multiple things to do. One thing I do, one thing. I forget those things that are behind me and I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. A branch must be totally yielded to the vine and a branch has no side issues. If a branch could talk to you, the branch, what's your job? To produce fruit and stay abiding in the Lord. That's how I produce fruit. I'm abiding in in, in the vine. And Jesus said in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. The example of Jesus, go back to John chapter 5 and verse 30. John chapter 5 and verse 30. What did Jesus say in John 5 verse 30? John 5 30, I can do nothing on my own initiative. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is judged because I do not seek mine own will, but the will of him who sent me. Well, who sent him? The Father did. The Father sent Jesus. Jesus came to fulfill the Father's will. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed, Lord, not my will be done, but thine. To do the Father's will, and that's what we're to do. We are to relinquish our wills and our desires, what we want to do, and surrender it to the Lord's will and start doing the Lord's will and you'll be amazed at how satisfying life can be for you. There's a passage of scripture over in John's God, uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. In Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul wrote, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living and holy sacrifice. You see, Jesus was the dead sacrifice. We're the living sacrifice. And then he goes on to say, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what is the will of God. And then he gives three adjectives describing the will of God. It is good and acceptable and perfect. That you might know what is the good and perfect and acceptable will of the Father. The word acceptable means pleasing. I looked at the other translations of it. It's good, it's pleasing, and, and it's perfect, just perfect. God has a, a, a will for you that is good and satisfying and pleasing and perfect, just perfect. God tailor makes his will for your life. There are no two people alike, and what God's will is for my life is not the same for you and you're for me and so forth. Everybody has a plan and a purpose and a design and a will personally tailored made for you by God himself. And it is a matter of my relinquishing the grip that I have on my life and my will and realizing that I, I don't belong to myself. When I got saved, I gave up ownership. I no longer own me. 
Jesus owns me. The devil doesn't own me. Jesus owns me. He is my Lord. He is my master. He is, has a will for me, and I surrender my will for his. And that comes about through prayer. Billy Graham has said, God wants us to know his will, and he reveals it to us both through the Bible and through the Holy Spirit. Seek God's will when you pray, and he will help you to know it. He will. And it's more than just one time. You, can't just, you just can't go to the Lord one time. I guess there are exceptions to it, but, but um, you, you go to the Lord, you, you persistently seek. When, when I used John 15, 7, discovering what God's will for my life was, it wasn't a, a one-time prayer that I prayed. Every day every of my life from then on, I, when I went to bed at night, I'd kneel down by my bed and I would pray. And during the day, I would pray. And the people that I would talk with guided me and helped me. The Lord used them to guide me and help me in making my decision. But I persistently and continually sought the will of God for my life. He's not going to play games with you. He's not going to tantalize you, dangle something up in front of you and say, oh, come, and then he'll draw back from it as you follow him. No, God doesn't play games with you. Serious business. The fourth and final thing, not only a reliance upon his strength and a receiving of his word and a relinquishing of his will or to, our, to his will, but a resting in his love. A resting in his love. Now, the Lord wants us to obey him so what motivates us to obey him? Well, some people do it uh, because they have to. I feel like, okay, if I have to, I have to. Well, this is the fear of uh, the level of fear. Fear can rob you of the real joy that God wants to give to you as you experience his obedience to his will. Some do it because they feel like they need to. But, but the thing that really motivates you is love. Love. He says in verse uh, chapter 14 of John's gospel and verse 15, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So, so love is the, is the motivating influence in our lives to want to do the will of the Lord and to abide in the vine. If you love me, he said, keep my commandments. Love does not measure sacrifice. God is love and love is the fulfillment of the law. God wants to us to obey him out of our hearts because we love him. The more we love him, the more we will obey him. The more we obey him, the more we will abide in him. And the more we abide in him, the more we will bear fruit. And the more we bear fruit, the more we will live. The more we will live. John chapter 15, verse 9. John 15, 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So just as I abide in the love of God the Father, you abide in my love. Oh, what a wonderful thing it would be. Paul said it was love that compelled him, that constrained him, that drove him. What motivates you? What stirs your heart to do what you do and say what you say? There's no greater motive in all the world than the love of for God and to do his will. You know, uh, David, King David, uh, spent most of his life on the run. In the early years of his life, he was running from Saul. 
In the middle years of his life, he was running from Absalom, his own son. Running, running, running. It is believed that David was the author of Psalm 71. In Psalm 71 in verse 3, if David is the author of that, this is what he wrote, speaking to the Lord. Be to me a rock of habitation to which I may continually come. A rock of habitation to be, be my home. You know, you, you, you've, you've, for those of you who've grown up and, and you're, you're on your own now, it's nothing like going back home, isn't it? Especially if you're a college student and, and uh, you, your parents are still living and they still have the old home place. You just want to go back. Go back to the old home place. Go back to where you were raised, the dwelling place where you live, to get away, to renew your strength. And David said, God's my rock of habitation to which I continually come. You have given commandment to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. The New Living Translation says to, to the Lord, be my rock of safety where I can always hide. Give the order to save me for you are my rock and my fortress. Where do you go when you're in trouble? Where do you go when you have a problem? Where do you go when you want satisfaction and fulfillment in life? To whom do you turn or to what do you turn? Some people turn to drugs and alcohol and other things. Where do you go? Where do you abide? Where do you stay? What do you get plugged into to be rejuvenated spiritually as well as mentally and emotionally and physically? And David said, God, you're my rock. You're my dwelling place. You're my home. I turn to you. As the Father loved me, Jesus said, I have loved you. Now quickly, let me conclude by, by pointing something out to you. I want you to look in John chapter 14 and verse 27. John 14, 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. You got it? John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now go back to John chapter 15 and look at verse 9. In John 15, 9, it says, Just as the Father has loved me, I has also loved you. Abide in my love. So you've got peace and you've got love. Skip down to verse 11. John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you. I don't know about you, but that strikes me as interesting. The three things that Jesus said he would give to you, peace, and love and joy are the first three fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, and peace. And they all come from the Father through Jesus and they're yours for the abiding. Because if you read Galatians chapter five, you remember what he says, he who walks according to the flesh, and then he gives all the things that describe the fleshly life. Walking, it means a lifestyle, a habitual, ongoing lifestyle. But he who walks in the Spirit continually, repeatedly, constantly, 
will produce love and joy and peace and long-suffering and all these other things that are the fruit of the Spirit. To abide in Jesus is a command. It's not a desire. It's not a wish. Jesus didn't say, I hope you'll do this. He said, abide in me. Let's bow together. Just like a student at school, Lord, we don't always grasp and understand the, the meaning of what you're trying to teach us at times, but the more we study and the more we meditate, the more we seek your face and seek your will, things begin to unfold. And we understand more and more why it's so important that we abide and remain and stay in you and with you. And as we come to this time of invitation, I know that this has not been a, a message of salvation, but there may be somebody here, Lord, you know who they are that need to be saved. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you have done your work of convicting and helping them to understand their need to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. And that they would follow you during this time of invitation to make it public. There may be some Christians here today who realize that they have not been staying put in you. They've not remained in you. They've, they've, they've been saved, but they, they've just have not grown. They've not produced fruit. And uh, perhaps, Holy Spirit, this would be the time that you would convince them beyond a shadow of a doubt of their need to repent of that and, and to come back to you and allow you to take full control of their lives so that they can understand what it means to have the abundant life. We pray that you will be honored and glorified in all that we, we pray in the name of Jesus that, that the devil will be bound from this time of invitation, that he will not interfere with anybody who's on the verge of making a decision for you. Holy Spirit of God, overrule him, overpower him, that the Father might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a decision to make today, please come, whether it's to join our church or whatever it may be, to be saved. If God's speaking to your heart today, I'll be here at the front to receive you. Please Please stand as we sing.